Over the course of the last year, statistics have framed our lives in very obvious ways. From COVID cases to unemployment rates, stats have helped us understand what's happening in the wider world. As we contemplate how to build back better in the aftermath of the pandemic, official statistics could help guide our way. At least that's what the authors of a recent Significance magazine article think. And it's the focus of this episode of Stats and Stories, where we explore the statistics behind the stories and the stories behind the statistics. I'm Rosemary Pennington. Stats and Stories is a production of Miami University's Departments of Statistics and Media Media, journalism and film, as well as the American Statistical Association. Joining me are regular panelists, John Baylor, Chair of Miami Statistics Department, and Richard Campbell, Professor Emeritus of Media, Journalism and Film. Our guest today is Paul Allen. Allen is a visiting professor of statistics in the Department of Mathematics at Imperial College London, UK. His research interests are the measurement of national well-being and progress, and the use of these measures in politics, policy, business, and everyday life. He also chairs the Statistics User Forum, an umbrella organization which brings together producers and groups of users of UK official statistics. Allen previously spent 40 years as a professional statistician, researcher, and policy analyst in the Office for National Statistics and other departments and agencies, including the director of the Measuring National Wellbeing Program. Paul, thank you so much for being here today. Hello, Rosemary. Thank you for having me. To get our conversation started, I wonder if you could talk about when you think when you talk about official statistics, what are you talking about? You talk about it a bit in your article, and that might be a nice place to sort of ground the conversation. Sure. I think official statistics are wonderful, um, but actually they're, they're grounded in a very basic idea, which is that they are the statistics produced by official agencies within uh, within any country. That's a kind of very simplistic idea, uh, and you need to kind of dwell behind it a bit, just see the range of material that's produced, or in some cases not produced, and also think about the ways in which it's produced and the quality which it's produced. But what I think is really interesting is to think about kind of who uses these these figures, who uses these data. And and the story there is that they start with the government. The government uses it. In some cases, official statistics are the government statistics. But the, really, the vision behind official statistics is that they must, must be used much more widely. So a, just to, uh, to take back a little bit and uh, take ourselves back in time just a little bit, just the history of how this has started up. Because, you know, we certainly want to talk to you about some of your work in, in thinking about well-being statistics. But but what was sort of the what was sort of the start of this in in the UK? You know when did when did the kind of the central statistics office come into being and and how did GDP become such a prominent characteristic that led to things like your response such as well-being? Sure. Well, really, you can actually track official statistics way back in in time through censuses and the data that were collected for taxation purposes. But the story really gets interesting in the Second World War when Churchill realised that there were lots of different figures flying around and that uh, different departments were quoting different things and different ministers were, were quoting different things. And he simply wanted to put an end to that. And so he kind of decreed in a very Churchillian way, let there be a central statistical office of so action this day. And um, more or less, that, that, that is what, what, what happened. Um, alongside that, people were very interested in Know, the economic performance of the, the country, what on earth is going on, how are, we, how are we managing to produce the things we need to produce. And the, the, the idea, I think there was kind of various people like Richard Stone in this country, but, but, but a, a number of your kind of 
uh, compatriots were, were involved uh, and, and, and took the lead, really, in terms of coming together with the system of national accounts to try and make a real assessment of the economic performance of, of, of a country in a structured way. And that just grew over the, the years. Um, very complex system. Nobody really understands it apart from a small group of people who are the kind of the national accountants of any one country. But since the summary measure, one of the summary measures that comes out of this is, this, is these three letters GDP, which we all, uh, I think we all hear about. Probably nobody really knows what it is. I think it's very difficult to give a precise definition, but think of it as the economic activity according to some sort of definition. Um, and if you've got a definition in mind, this use the idea of a market economy and a, a boundary around that a production boundary. And then think about, well, what's all that mean? What's all that add up to this, this year or this quarter? And crucially, how does it compare with what we did last year and last quarter? And that's where things start to get um, even more interesting, because if you then take that GDP measure as your goal for a, an economy or a goal for a nation, not just to have GDP of a certain size, but to grow the, the, the nation, that the idea has been around that and no matter what happens, the most important thing is to keep on growing. Economic growth is the answer to everything, so, so some, people, some people say. Um, and there's a lot of evidence that, you know, through economic growth, a number of countries have managed to lift large amounts of their population out of, out of relative poverty. So, you know, economic growth does, does some good. But I think where the concern over GDP has reached is that actually it's not, it's not, it's not the only measure and it, and it excludes certain things. You've had Diana Coyle on your programme and she's kind of very eloquent, much more eloquent than I am about, about this. You know, but one thing, for example, is that GDP doesn't really take account of the economic damage that's happened to the, to the environment when you kind of do all this production. So you can dig all this stuff out of the ground and you can produce all this pollution, but you don't really take account of that in GDP. So GDP continues to grow while you do these other things as well. And so that's, in our kind of a long nutshell, is why we've got the claims for kind of, let's look at a bigger, broader picture here. Have you, have you managed to change the way maybe journalists think about GDP as the sort of sole measure of prosperity and well-being and some of the challenges in trying to study well-being. You use the word subjectivity a lot, which doesn't come up a lot when you talk to a lot of statisticians. They sort of don't wrestle with the, mm -hmm. some of the problems that come up when you're asking questions that are much more subjective. So I think that's a more complicated question than I wanted to ask. But. No, it, 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 it's that kind of topic, isn't it, where you kind of, you kind of all these things come together. Um, a lot of people st say it's still early days for all this well-being stuff. Um, it's going to take some time to get through. But clearly some journalists have got it, some campaign groups have, have got it, some, um, some politicians have got it. Um, I mean, over here in the UK and especially on other European countries, there's a kind of very strong green uh, party uh, and they tend to get this argument very, uh, very straightforwardly and, and are among those who are campaigning for looking at wider, wider measures. Um, there have been umpteen commissions saying that we should look at, look at things in a broad, in broader sense. They produce fine reports which sit on the, sit on the shelf often. Uh, sometimes they get quoted. Um, 
No, there, there have been developments like uh, I was working for a while with the uh, wonderfully named What Works Centre for Wellbeing to try and kind of identify um, how we can learn for, for policy uh, from, from, from wellbeing. Um, but it's a slow, it's a slow process. Rosemary mentioned in her introduction the kind of the idea of building back better, and I think that's in a sense the latest time in which people are thinking, well, okay, let's 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 have we got time to pause and think and uh, look look in a broader sense to kind of recalibrate. Um, and there's the challenge. I mean, how how on earth is that going to happen? <laughs> you know, when I when I read some of what you've written, I I think a lot about the idea that that what we measure and how we decide to measure it. Uh, shapes and drives what we ultimately do. Sure. I mean, because you know, it's there's a, there's this this deep strong connection between this definition of endpoint and outcome of that we think is important, and then then how mm. we behave in policy. So can can you talk a little yeah. bit about yeah. how how this by by, by expanding this idea of, of this economic indicator mm. to include aspects of well being, how that that ultimately could inform and cause policy to evolve. Sure, sure. I think that's that's a really crucial point, John. And in a sense, what since what the debate I have with my kind of former former colleagues is is that you know, they're great at producing things, but actually I want them also to think about kind of how these things are going to be used and what they're going to be used for. And the the vision of official statistics is that they do cover a wide range of different different things that virtually everything you can think of should really be in the output of official statistics somewhere um, you know provided it's been identified that somebody's going to kind of make real use of it that's what the United Nations say in their fundamental principles you know they want some practical utility here so we can have a wonderful vision uh, but putting that into practice really means kind of thinking about who could possibly want to use this? And, and not just waiting for people to come and knock on your door and say, please, can we have some statistics on, on X or Y? But actually getting out there and working out where the debates are going on, working out where there are emerging needs for official statistics, um, or emerging needs for statistics and how official statistics and perhaps broader sources could, could help with that. And I think that's, I mean, I, been there myself. I think that's uh, an uncomfortable position for a, a statistician and certainly for an official statistician to actually kind of, they're, they're faced with the task of getting lots of these statistics out on a fairly regular basis. It's almost like a kind of treadmill where you get the latest GDP figures out and you're immediately working on the next set of GDP figures. Where do they get time to go out and talk to people and how mm -hmm. they're going to use them? Good heavens sake, you know, they publish them. What more do they want? Well, I don't think that's kind of quite quite good enough anymore. We've got to get that broad range out there so that people don't have the excuse that they can only look at GDP because that's all there is. But they should also be thinking about, um, uh, official statisticians should be thinking about getting out there. Um, and and uh, Richard mentioned subjectivity, which I didn't really kind of come back to, but another buzzword that, that, uh, uh, that official statisticians don't really like is marketing. And I think actually official statisticians do need to get out there and market their they're wonderful products uh, and engage much more, much more with people. 
You're listening to Stats and Stories, and today we're talking to Paul Allen, visiting professor of statistics at Imperial College London. Sorry, Richard, did you want to get in there with a question? Well, I wanted to kind of follow up on the the GDP thing, because you one of the things that I've always been annoyed with as somebody that has worked as a journalist and also spent much of my time criticizing journalism, those numbers, like for years, the networks would report the Dow Jones Mm -hmm. at the end. Mm -hmm. It was just a number. Mm-hmm. We never knew what it meant. Mm-hmm. What does it mean when it rises and falls? Mm-hmm. If you study it a little bit, it doesn't mean very much. It means mm-hmm. something to, I think, people who are investing. But GDP is like one of those numbers. Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. you rightly point out in the significance article that people don't really know what that means when sure. you give the sure. GDP number. Sure. So I'm going to ask you an unfair question here, <laughs> which is, how should journalists be reporting this? I mean, they have a limited amount of time. What should they be saying about this? Now, I think I love this whole concept of introduce, you know, complicating this a little mm-hmm. bit. And there are certainly more things to our well-being than you know how the economy is going. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what would you like to? I mean, you must be you must watch this, right? You see mm-hmm. this, you read this, and you must be frustrated at there's no explanation ever what this is and mm-hmm. what the limitations are. Well, Richard, I think you touched on the the main challenge here, which is that the only way has got to be to say a bit more about what's going on rather than just having a simple, quick headline headline number. Um, and that's kind of that's quite we don't live in that sort of world actually we've got to somehow kind of make space to do that there's um part of the paper that I look at each day which is called the long read and uh, I don't think many people look at the long read so maybe the long read isn't going to be the answer to this but there might be a, a slightly longer than than headline read and this may actually only happen from time to time. Maybe we have to live for a bit with the fact that GDP comes out every month and that's going to be reported and people are really concerned if it's going to go up or down uh, and how, it com- how it's growth in one country is compared to another. Maybe that's, that's the way the world is. But also the, perhaps there might be opportunities you know, quite regularly to say, well, actually, let's just take a pause from that and let's kind of... GDP may have been going on, but what's been happening to... The climate while well, we've been having this conversation about gdp what's what's been happening to the environment what's been happening to the distribution of incomes has everybody benefited and i think those sorts of topics could well get a bit more resonance and because they they've sort of done so already but ne- never quite never quite broken through i mean i think the idea that not everybody's income rises in line with GDP for the country as a whole, or GDP per capita. I think that message has finally got got through, and it's actually one of those classic things where GDP is a sort of average, and it's the kind of average when really nobody gets it, because some people are doing extremely well, mm. and many people actually aren't even experiencing any sort of growth in their in their incomes. That was certainly the case in the States, it was certainly the case in the UK, has been for a while, and yet people have only slowly discovered that. That must be the kind of thing that it's worth uh, worth spending a bit of time on from 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 time to time. So you've you mentioned in one of your papers the the questions that were added that sort of touch on well-being, and that have been incorporated in some of these surveys. Could you yeah. talk just could you just report kind of what some of those questions were, and then the the follow-up. What's the most interesting insight that you think has been observed since these questions have been added? Well, this takes us into the subjective area that, that Richard was talking about, because these questions are not the kind of questions that official statisticians are kind of really 
happy have, have been happy with but 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 are at last getting uh, getting more comfortable with them because they're all variants of questions which which get at people's well-being by the simple process of asking them to assess their own well-being so kind of john you know how uh, how satisfied are you with your life these days wow you say well what a, what, what a big question okay richard um yesterday you know on the whole you know on a scale of naught to ten how happy were you or how how, how sad were you uh, and uh, the fourth question is around kind of how you feel life is life is worthwhile. These are all questions drawn from what actually is a kind of pretty wide academic uh, and prolonged academic study into getting people to assess their own well-being. There are any headline questions. You could always add lots more to delve down sure. in, into that. But those questions have been added to the UK's regular household surveys, and the ones that and, and, and to, and to topic topic surveys as well so the kind of the idea is getting around that we should just ask these questions as, as, as much as we can so gosh it's really difficult what are, what are the what are the what's what's really interesting insight I've I've done so long kind of advocating that these questions should be used that I've kind of got a bit out of the habit of looking at what what they say so I think reassuringly they do actually mirror what you would think was is going on so actually um, well-being hasn't been that great over the course of the pandemic well maybe you don't need a, a survey to tell you that but actually what you do need a survey for is just to look at which particular groups have been oh, doing better okay. or, or, or less well or, or which particular parts okay. of the country and that's where I think you get get the insights. One of the things I like about some of the things that you're doing is the link between the statistician and the journalist and you talk about that statisticians need to be holding government accountable. That's what journalists are supposed to do as well. And it seems like there's a lot of room here for, for better partnerships. I mean, I, I think we started this podcast partly to explore this, the, the sort of shared interest and differences between statisticians and journalists. Mm -hmm. But uh, you're holding government accountable is not something I think a lot of statisticians might be interested in doing. And that seems like a challenge. So could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah. I think it's, it's, it's really about kind of not show, you know, being fair and showing no favor in terms of kind of the, the, the facts that are produced as official statistics and how they can be made available to people to use, including, you know, in I don't think I'm actually kind of asking my Kind of colleagues to themselves hold the government to account but they have to be brave enough to provide the tools for other people to hold the government to account using these these facts and of course it's not just official statistics that are used in this in, in this process i mean that's that's one of the interesting angles here is to see how statistics can be used with other bits of information other uh, by journalists delving through what we have in the uk as a kind of like a freedom of information process which to try and kind of winkle things out of, out of government, to try and build a bigger picture. So maybe it's very much uh, for the kind of the journalists to kind of do the work, but the statisticians need to make sure that they're doing their bit in kind of providing what they can. As we've been having this conversation, I keep thinking about this phrase that you used, or even just this name that you used in the Significance article, public statistics and okay. I wonder if you could sort of tease that out a little bit yeah. in relation to sort of this idea of the official statistic. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a phrase which is kind of didn't invent. I kind of just David and I liked uh, what we were hearing about this and we wanted to develop develop this idea. 
the appeal for it is that it starts with thinking about how these figures are going to be used, not who's producing them. Uh, and I think that's the kind of really, really crucial thing. So the idea of public statistics is that let's think of the questions, let's delve into and find the questions that people want answers to. And these people could be policymakers, but they could also, most importantly, be members of the public, be journalists, be campaigning groups, be, be unions, be businesses, you know, be households. Um, and let's get all those out and have a process which kind of brings the questions out and then we can look for the best statistics that answer those and help answer those those questions. Many of those statistics will be official statistics, um, but some of them will not be. And I think what we found over here in the, in, in the UK during the COVID crisis is that official statistics are necessary, but they're not sufficient to do, uh, to provide the answer. So here then, the, the well, I think what we envisage is that the role of official statisticians becomes more of a kind of a curator of um, a set of statistics, many of which they will have produced themselves, but others of which they will have drawn in uh, through whatever process works best, uh, assess the quality of that and make sure that kind of those, those statistics are then available to answer the questions that people have. You know, I'm curious about thing, the, the idea of measurement here, both measurement of GDP and measurement of well-being. Mm -hmm. and, and when I think about GDP, you often hear comparisons of countries mm -hmm. with the idea that, that, you know, if I look at country X's GDP and country Y's GDP, that, that those kinds of changes and relative changes have some meaning, some mm -hmm. interpretation, mm -hmm. and some, there's something that's, that's mm -hmm. directly comparable. Or sure. maybe that's a fiction, but it's something that's, that is believed. But, but when I think about well-being, mm -hmm. I start to wonder about kind of uh, differences that might exist. Mm -hmm. You know, are, are there kind of baseline, cultural, country-specific yeah. differences that might exist in how you respond? I mean, you gave the example mm -hmm. about well-being during the COVID within the context of, a, of groups within a country, with mm -hmm. the idea that perhaps there's some shared sense of, of touchstone, some common, common mm -hmm. reference origin. Mm -hmm. I mean, does that does that apply when do you sort of say, well, we can't really think about these types of well-being comparisons broadly mm -hmm. across countries? Um, I think I start from the position of, of being questioning why we might want to make those comparisons. Uh, just intrinsic curiosity. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, that's OK. So, but, that's a, but that's a but that's a really good point. That's yeah. a really. So, yeah, what what questions are informed by such such comparisons. I think that's a great, great read. Exactly. And, and so if we kind of went into it there, we might find that there could be some core questions that we might want to see if they worked across across countries, across cultures, uh, uh, different parts, parts of the world. Um, I mean, the sort of language issues and translation issues, is all, all sorts of kind of things which I think hardly, hardly scratched out to the moment. I mean, I mean, that said, people like Gallup have been asking questions uh, in many countries around the world for for a very long time and so there's a lot of experience there that um, suggests that you can ask questions and you can get answers uh, just how comparable these things are takes you into some very interesting areas are you then comparing cultural differences are you comparing differences in this same this standard thing called well-being and i kind of really start from a position that i think well-being is probably culturally defined, culturally yeah. uh, explicit, yeah. and we need to kind of bear that in mind when we try and make any of these comparisons. Well, that's all the time we have for this episode of Stats and Stories. Paul, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you very much for having me. It's great to talk with you. Thank you. 
Yeah, thanks for your time, Paul. Stats and Stories is a partnership between Miami University's Departments of Statistics and Media, Journalism, and Film and the American Statistical Association. You can follow us on Twitter, Apple Podcasts, or other places where you find podcasts. If you'd like to share your thoughts on the program, send your email to statsandstories at miamioh.edu or check us out at statsandstories.net and be sure to listen for future editions of Stats and Stories, where we discuss the statistics behind the stories and the stories behind the statistics.